both encouraging and a little discouraging when you dismiss the children and half the crowd disappears, amen. It's good to see children here. Amen, that's good. When I, uh, we just, I mentioned last week, we just passed our church, I had our 49th birthday uh, church, the Bible Baptist Church on uh, September 17th. So we just passed that a few weeks ago. And uh, I remember when I first came here in uh, 2014, one of the first things I wanted to do was set up a meeting. And and uh, it's it's hard when you want to do one quick and, and uh, to, to try to find the right person. And so somebody gave me the name of Brother Paul Crow. I had never met him before or heard of him at that point. And, uh, and he came that first year, held meetings with us, and it's just been a friendship since then. I've always enjoyed his uh, uh, counsel. I've called him many times uh, when he's not here for meetings, just as a, for a friend and for uh, help uh, with different things. And so he's always been there for us, not only for our church, but for me personally as well. So we really appreciate the Crows. I'll let you introduce your family when you get here, but he's been a blessing to us. He'll be a blessing to you as you listen. Uh, he's very quiet, so you have to strain, lean forward, really strain to hear him. And uh, so, but uh, if you can do it, if you'll hear him, it'll be a blessing. Thank you. Thank you, Pastor. Get that figured out in just a little bit. While, uh, while we're working on that, I want to say just a couple of things. First of all, we have a table set up in the back. And uh, there's, there's some, if you look on the left-hand side of the table, there are ministry resources. If you look on the other side of the table, there's other things, okay? We, m my girls make a lot of the other things. I make some of the other things, but uh, all of that is, uh, we sell that, we make that available, and uh, that has, in the past, that has funded our mission trips as we go overseas preaching the gospel in different countries. Um, I don't know if that portion of our ministry is going to continue right now just because of a lot of uh, reactions worldwide to the COVID-19 virus. Uh, it has really changed the face of foreign missions and how we have done it in the past. Many, many churches and places where I go, there are missionaries who can't get to the field for whatever reason. The country will not allow them in, and, and certainly that's that, that's true of Canada right now. I know of Canadian citizens who can't get into Canada right now. And if they do, they have to be under house arrest for 14 days or something like that. So it's, it's very difficult in many places of the world. Traditionally, the sale of items on our table has gone to pay for our mission trips. Uh, we've been invited to the country of Italy. Maybe you haven't looked into getting into Italy recently, but it's, it's pretty tight. The borders are pretty tight. Now, if I wanted to go into Mexico, that would be fine, but I would have to ditch my American citizenship to come back in. I could get in very easily if I were to get rid of that. But um, as an American citizen, sometimes it's a little tricky in the southern border right now to re-enter the United States. But... Um, at any rate, that's that's what those things are for. Just a couple items to, of note. Uh, there's a prayer card. I would invite every family to pick up one of those. They're not coasters, okay? They're prayer cards. When you see them, you understand what I mean. Uh, my wife has also published uh, two books of her piano arrangements. One is out of print. One is available on the back table. I published a book on Christian separation, personal separation. What does that mean? What does that entail? I became burdened several years ago about a Christianity that is not as distinct from the world as it used to be. And uh, so anyway, that, that book is back there. It's entitled Cliffs and Fences. And uh, also I have, if you're one that listens to preaching, there's a thumb drive back there that contains three different series that I've done on it and uh, over, I think, 64 messages uh, in addition to those series. So that's available back there. If you don't know how to use that thumb drive, I promise you someone in this church does, okay? So you can get with them and you can say, hey, can, I, can you make this into a CD, uh, vinyl, if you want vinyl, 8-track, uh, uh, maybe Brother Corey could help you with 8-track, I don't know. Anyway, uh, that is, that's a bit, whatever kind of technology you prefer to use, somebody in this church can help you get it to whatever that is from that jump drive. So it's back there. Did that for you, Pastor Forsberg, in case the jump drive's not your thing, all right? And uh, so we have several, uh, several ministry resources back there, and then my girls have made just a lot of stuff, and uh, Christmas is right around the corner, so you just uh, go back there and avail yourself of those things. Would you find the book of Acts chapter 26 in your Bibles, please? Acts chapter 26 in the Word of God. 
Acts chapter 26. Acts chapter 26 is the story of the Apostle Paul on trial. It is a Roman custom that the accused was allowed to face his accusers. Of course, we follow that custom in our jurisprudence today in the United States of America. And so, in, in Paul's day, living as he did in the Roman Empire, he was allowed by the laws of the land to stand and give an account of himself and to really defend himself. Only this was a little bit of an unusual situation in the book of Acts chapter 22, or 26, excuse me. Acts chapter 26, there has been a change in leadership. The governor that initially incarcerated Paul hoped to receive a bribe. He hoped that the churches would get together, they would take up a special love offering so that they would then bribe him and then he could let the apostle Paul go free. Okay, maybe you know of some politicians that operate that way. I'm sure none in the, in the state of South Dakota, but uh, maybe in Minnesota. I don't know. Anyway, uh, but that that's the way he worked. Okay, that's the way he worked. He was a crooked politician. Well, the churches never did give him a bribe. And so when he left office, the Apostle Paul was still incarcerated. He was still behind bars. The man who left office was a man by the name of Felix. The man who took his place was a man by the name of Portius Festus. Interesting name. It means we're going to have a hog roast. Pig feast. That's what it means. So Portius Festus took his place. Now, Portius Festus suddenly found himself with a prisoner. In Roman law, this prisoner had said, I want to go all the way and, and have Caesar himself hear my case. That was something that was legal for him to do. It would be analogous to you or I appealing to the Supreme Court today. He was, he was appealing to the highest court that he could appeal to, the court of Caesar himself. So Festus now has to give, he has to find a ship. He has to put the prisoner on board ship. He has to send the ship to Rome so that the Apostle Paul can appear before the Roman emperor to the Caesar. But there's a problem. Festus says, I don't know what he's done. He says, i, I got to send this prisoner to Caesar. But it's kind of weird. Because I don't know what to tell him. The accusation against this guy, I don't know what he's done wrong. He says it seems a little bit unusual to send a prisoner to have his case tried when I don't even have an accusation against him. And so he said to his friend, a man by the name of Agrippa, and this man's friend whose, whose name was Bernice, Agrippa and Bernice, husband and wife, he said to these individuals, he said, I wonder, would you be willing to come and to sit in the judgment hall and have this prisoner present his case to us? He said, I've got to have something to write. Maybe you can help me. Maybe after you hear what he has to say, then we can all get together and figure out what kind of an accusation to write with the papers that we send with him to the emperor. And, and uh, Agrippa and Bernice says, okay, that's, that's a good idea. I'll do that. Acts chapter 26 is that story. Acts chapter 26, Agrippa, Bernice, and Festus are all there. The Apostle Paul is given opportunity to speak for himself, and speak he does. His speech occupies most of the chapter of the book of Acts chapter 26. As he gets down toward the end of his speech, it is there that I would like us to focus this morning. The Bible says, as we get down toward the end of the chapter, in verse 25, the Bible says... Now, the apostle, let's, let's go to verse 24. And as he thus spake for himself, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, thou art beside thyself. Much learning doth make thee mad. He was not saying that the apostle Paul was angry. He was accusing the apostle Paul of being insane. That's what he meant when he said mad. Okay, We mean mad to mean angry. That's not what was going on. The, the, the apostle Paul was being accused of being insane. He said, you are insane. Much learning doth make thee mad. Notice what he says in verse 25. But he said, I am not mad, most noble Festus, but speak forth the words of truth and soberness. He said, I'm not insane, sir. And then notice what he says in verse 26. For the king knoweth of these things, before whom also I speak freely. For I am persuaded that none of these things are hidden from him. For this thing was not done in a corner. Now we address King Agrippa. Notice verse 27. King Agrippa, Paul still speaking, Believest thou the prophets? There's a long pause. I know that thou believest. 
Watch verse 28. Then Agrippa said unto Paul, Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. And Paul said, I would to God that not only thou, but also all that hear me this day were both almost and altogether such as I am, except these bonds. And when he had thus spoken, the king rose up and the governor and Bernice and, all the, and they that sat with them. And when they were gone aside, they talked between themselves, saying, This man doeth nothing worthy of death or, or bonds. Then said Agrippa unto Festus, This man might have been set at liberty if he had not appealed unto Caesar. Father, help us as we look into this passage of Scripture this morning. Lord, we need your help. We ask for your help. And we trust you to provide your help as you have done so many times. Thank you for every person that's here. And I pray, Father, for that soul who does not know you as Savior today. I pray that they would be saved. I pray also for Christians, Father, that you would speak to our hearts as well. Draw us near. Draw us close. Help us to remove anything that hinders our fellowship with you. We ask and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. When I was a boy in high school, there was a, an individual in our school that was a renowned artist. When I say renowned, he, he drew uh, with just a pencil and a piece of paper. He would draw pencil drawings, monochrome art, I think they called it. And he would take it to different competitions. He was so good that no one was surprised when he won the state competition. I grew up in the state of South Carolina. Uh, I had a conversation with Brother Andy today. He said, you know, Brother Paul, I'm a little confused as to where you're from. I'm going to spit out all kinds of names of places, all right? The reason for that is simple. I have traveled full-time as an evangelist in a different place every week for 19 years, all right? I grew up in South Carolina. I currently live in... South Dakota, but next week it's going to be Michigan, okay? And the week after that, I return home to Mississippi for a day before heading to my next meeting, all right? But uh, I currently pay taxes on a piece of real estate in Mississippi, all right? So I grew up in South Carolina. This boy, this boy took his drawing to a state art competition, all the high school art in the, in the state of South Carolina, and he took first place. He was that good. He then entered the same, the same drawing, the same work of art in a national competition, and he took first place. He was a pretty good artist. But you know, as sometimes artists can be, there were some things about this guy that were just a little bit unusual. For example, we had sort of a, a staircase. It wasn't a spiral. It was several right angles. But uh, it was all kind of confined in one area. And it, it went, went from the, the bottom floor of our school to the, to the upper floor where many of the classrooms were held. So that you could stand on that upper floor and you could look down and you could see everybody that was coming and going up and down the stairs. Well, this guy, who was such a great artist, decided one day that he would spit on one of the teenage girls coming up the stairs. Well, the teenage girl was not best pleased with the fact that his aim was better than anticipated. Because she spit, or he spit and hit her. And she felt that that was a violation of her, uh, a, a lot of things, okay? It was just a problem in a lot of areas. So much so that she reported it to the school authorities. And the school authorities called this young man in and they said, uh, can you tell me, why did you spit? on this girl. He said, well, I, I like her and I was kind of hoping that she would like me back. <laughs> and they said, um, and you thought that spitting on her was going to advance this desire that you have to get this girl to be romantically interested in you? That's not the way you go about it. Evidently, this guy had to be told that. Great artist, but you know, had some struggles with other parts of his life. And, uh, you know, when we heard that, when word of that got out in our school, all of us were asking the same question. I mean, in our minds, we called his name and said, What were you thinking? How did you possibly think that was going to end well? Why? I mean, we, some of us wanted to grab and just pick him up off the ground and say, Hey, wake up! That's not going to help your cause. You know, there are times in the Word of God when I encounter some people that made some decisions in the Bible... I want to do a similar thing, Brother Corey. I want to pick him up and I want to say, Hey, what are you thinking? What are you thinking? We've just encountered one of them. Here's a man by the name of Agrippa. And the Bible says, notice what it says in Acts chapter 26 and verse 28 very plainly. Agrippa said unto Paul, 
almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. Paul, you brought me to the edge. I'm about to take that step, but something is going to pull me back. You haven't done enough for me. And I want to pick Agrippa up by his royal lapels, if you will. And I want to say, Agrippa, what are you thinking? I want to say to him, Agrippa specifically, what more do we have to do to get you to trust Jesus Christ as Savior? I call that the question of conversion. The question of conversion. Now, we, I, I wish we had time to go through this and maybe in a subsequent message uh, in another year, I will. But the truth is, the Apostle Paul has given his personal testimony. The Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 26 has talked about his upbringing and how he was a religious man. But on the road to Damascus, God Almighty Himself stopped the Apostle Paul, knocked him to the ground with a light brighter than the noonday sun, and convinced the Apostle Paul that all the religion in the world was not going to save him. That And, and the Bible describes it this way in the book of Philippians, what things were gained to me, Paul says, those I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless that I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and do count them but dung. What was he saying? He's saying the day I met Jesus on the road to Damascus was the day that I understood all of my religion counts for nothing. I need to be saved. I need to be born again. I need to submit to the, to the gospel of Jesus Christ and I need to be truly saved. That's what happened to the Apostle Paul. Hear me. Agrippa has heard the testimony. Agrippa has heard the Apostle Paul talk about the prophets. We read that verse. By the way, let me just say, you ought to do a study sometime. You've been saved for a while. You ought to do a study sometime on the phrase in the Bible, believing the prophets. Believing the prophets. If I were to meet a Jewish man today and I, and I found out that he was someone that revered the Scripture, I would have one question for him, Pastor Yoder. Believest thou the prophets? Most Jewish people that I find, they make a lot of the law, the first five books of the Bible, but they haven't even read the prophets, much less do they believe them. I want to say to you, God has brought prophets into our lives. Prophets are men who speak in the place of God, and they, they deliver, deliver God's message. The question that you and I have to answer, do we believe these prophets? Here was a man by the name of Agrippa. The Apostle Paul confronts him. He says, Agrippa, believest thou the prophets? He says, I don't have to be told the answer that I know that thou believest. Furthermore, Agrippa was a man who knew the story of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It wasn't something that was not foreign to him. It wasn't something that was unusual. He knew about it. Notice what the Bible says. We've read it. But the Bible says in verse 26, he says, The king knoweth of these things, before whom also I speak freely. For I am persuaded that none of these things are hidden from him. For this thing was not done in a corner. What does that mean? That means that Agrippa knew that Jesus came to this earth. Agrippa knew that he died. Agrippa knew that he was buried. Agrippa had heard at least that he rose again from the dead. Everybody knew about it. And yet Agrippa, when given the gospel of Jesus Christ, he said, you brought me to the edge, but I'm just not going to do it today. I want to ask you a question. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ as Savior, what more do we have to do to get you to trust Jesus Christ as Savior? Do you understand that you're a sinner today? Do you understand that all have sinned and all come short of the glory of God? Do you understand that God commendeth or demonstrated or showed His love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us? Do you understand today that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord? Do you understand today that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God hath raised Him from the dead, thou shalt be saved? Do you understand today that whosoever shall call on the upon the name of the Lord shall be saved? Do you understand that the free gift of salvation is being offered from the nail-scarred hands of Jesus offered in your direction and all you need to do is reach out and take it by faith. What more has to be done to get you to trust Christ as Savior this morning? What more has to be done? Here's this man by the name of Agrippa. I don't know, maybe he was waiting for another time. Maybe, maybe he was afraid of what people might think. I don't know what his hang-up was, but I know that having been the recipient of all kinds of truth at this crucial point in his, time, in, in his life, the question of conversion in Agrippa received the wrong answer. 
Instead of saying, yes, I know that what you're saying is true. Yes, it makes sense with the Scriptures. Yes, it makes sense from what I know of Jesus. Yes, it makes sense from what I know of me. Instead of saying yes to all that, he heard the Apostle Paul speak and he said, ah, ah, it it makes sense. I know that what you're saying is true. Yes, it's, it's there, but... No. Not today. Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. You know the Bible says, the Bible says that God will have all men to be saved. Do you know that God doesn't want to send anybody to hell? Or in a college town. I'm sure that if I, I wouldn't have to look very far to find somebody at SDSU that would reason something like this. They would say, oh, you're a preacher. Well, I want you to know I don't believe in a God that would send anybody to hell. I'm sure I could find some people like that in this town. I'm sure there's some people that reason that way. Can I have you to understand, God doesn't send anybody to hell. People send themselves to hell. There's a river not far from where I live. Maybe you've heard of it. It's called the Mississippi River. Okay? A little bit of water flowing through there where I live in the, in the, in the city, not far from the city of Memphis, Tennessee. Well, if you're going to take a vehicle across the Mississippi River, you've got to go across on a bridge. And a bridge across the Mississippi River, where I live, is a big deal. Now, I know there are people that in Minnesota that love to say, well, I waded across the Mississippi River in Atasca State Park, or however they say it. Okay, I have too. All right, I've, I've been there. I've done that. It's fun. All right, we have pictures of our son Daniel as a little baby, little infant. We threw him in the Mississippi River. Ah, ha, ha. Okay, all right, I, so I've done all that. But I just got to tell you, you don't throw your baby in the Mississippi River where I live. You don't. I mean, even when the river is down, they're carrying barges up and down uh, the Mississippi River. It's, it's an amazing sight to behold. And so, you can imagine that where I lived, it caused quite a stir when we heard that the Interstate 40 bridge over the Mississippi River was defective. Do what? There's only two bridges. There's the I-55 bridge, that's the old bridge that we call it, and then there's the I-40 bridge, that's the new bridge. And the new bridge was defective. Somebody went down there and they found that the new bridge was moving apart like this. There was a six-inch gap where it should have been held together. All of a sudden, they started putting up signs as far as 20 and 30 and 40 miles away, and some maybe even 70 miles away, warning you, the I-40 bridge is out. I-40 is closed. You cannot go across that bridge. If you're going on I-40, you got to get off at exit 1 in Tennessee because you can't go across the bridge. The bridge over the river is out. Can I tell you something? The God of heaven knows that mankind is on a road leading to destruction. And if you will permit me, He comes along through many different means and says, the bridge is out. He comes to you and to me, and there are all kinds of obstacles He places on the road to hell. One obstacle is the obstacle of creation. You see, the invisible things of Him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made. Even His eternal power in Godhead with the result that we are without excuse. You look up into the sky, the the moon rise and moon set, and the sun rise and sunset are breathtaking from this piece of property. They're breathtaking. You can look out there, you can see the moon as it arcs across the the night sky, and then you can see the sunrise in the morning and the, the purple and the pinks and all the beautiful hue. It's absolutely breathtaking. And yet there are people who would have you and I to believe that all those things happen as a result of chance random processes over billions and billions of years. But the Bible says, God spake and it was done. God commanded and it stood fast. There's a lot of uh, a lot of concern today about climate change. Okay? I understand that. There are people that look at the numbers and say, this earth is cooking. I mean, it's a, it's starting pretty soon. It's going to boil. Pretty soon, uh, I mean, there's going to be this tidal wave down from the north and it's going to, it's going to envelop us all. And what are we going to do? Well, in South Dakota, you'll be fine because you're in plains. You're a long way from the oceans. But, but I've met people who own beachfront property. I think they're a little bit bothered by it. 
Except former President Obama. In the midst of climate change, he bought a house right on the beach. So I don't, I don't guess he's that worried about it. But otherwise, it's a, it's a problem for some people. Listen, it's a problem for young people as they're being told this. Many of them can't sleep at night. And there's all kinds of mental diseases that are, that, that are, are being compounded today by people that are coming to young folks and saying, you've got 12 years. And in 12 years, everything's going to be gone. Have a nice day. Enjoy your time in school. What's a kid supposed to do? Can I tell you, it's the God of heaven that created this world, and it's the God of heaven that sustains this world. And the deeper you delve into the minutia of the creation around us, the more you are inspired to conclude there is a God. And if there is a God who created this world, and a God who created me, it stands to reason that I will one day have to give an account of myself to Him. You know what that is? That's a roadblock on the road to hell. You can keep going down this road, but there's a God who created you, and you're one day going to have to give an account to Him. What are you going to do with that roadblock? You know what many people do? Right over the roadblock they go, and they keep right on down the road. God's given us another roadblock. He's given us a roadblock of the Word of God. The Word of God, the Word of God comes to you and to me, and like a mirror, it shows us who we really are. The Bible says, the Bible says that, uh, that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The Bible makes it very plain. And that, that shows us who we really are. And that's the roadblock. A roadblock that says, no, don't continue down this road. Here's, what, here's one way the Bible puts it. There is a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. Oh, you think you're going on a road and it's okay. But the Bible comes along and says, no, no, no. The bridge is out. Don't continue down this road. The bridge is out. And you know what some people do? They come to that roadblock and they say, ah, I'm not going to pay any attention to this. And they keep right on going. God has given the roadblock of, 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 the, of people, preachers, soul winners, friends, relatives who pray and give the gospel and preach messages like this one. God has given those as roadblocks. Some people, some people come to the roadblock of the preacher. Maybe it's a friend at work who gives them a gospel track. Maybe it's someone who points them to a podcast where they hear the Word of God. Maybe it's someone that uh, brings them to church. Whatever it may be, God brings messengers along from time to time to give us the truth of the Word of God. What do we do with them? Well, there's many people today who want to discount the man of God. They want to ignore the prophet. They want to ignore the soul winner. They want to ignore the gospel track all the time. It's a roadblock that God has placed in the way saying, don't continue down this road. The bridge is out. But the greatest roadblock of all is when our Lord sent His Son. When Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of the Father, became flesh, became a man, and He dwelt among us. Everything that you and I have ever been tempted with, Jesus was tempted with. And yet, He was tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin, the Bible says. Not one time did He sin. Well, that means, if the Bible is true, He didn't deserve to die. Because the wages of sin is death. I, I deserve to die because I'm a sinner. You deserve to die because you're a sinner. Not Jesus. He had never once sinned. He, never, he did no sin, Simon Peter tells us. Neither was guile found in his mouth. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. And yet, my friend, the Lord Jesus died on the cross of Calvary. He didn't deserve it. Never, never, never in all of history have you heard a story of someone who was declared innocent, and then sentenced to death. Oh, you say, Brother Paul, there are days in this country where justice is not served. Yes, but usually they have a false verdict. Usually they at least say, he's guilty. Now he may, he or she, may be guilty or may not be guilty, but at least they have, at least they have the decency to give a false verdict even if it denies the evidence. Not our Lord. Listen to the words of the final arbiter in the case. I find in him no fault at all. Wow. I find in him no fault at all. And yet, what was the verdict? I find in him no fault at all. That's the verdict. And yet the sentence? Crucify him. Crucify him. Awful. 
And yet, my friend, they took the Lord Jesus. They beat Him so that you could scarcely recognize Him as a human being. They nailed Him to a cross. They lifted Him up between heaven and earth. And for those hours when the sun should have been its brightest, the sun over, the, over uh, Palestine that day was dark. And the Bible says there, the Lord Jesus died in my place so that you and I could be made the righteousness of God in Him. And right now, there's a roadblock on the road to hell. God says, yes, I've given you creation. Yes, I've given you the Scriptures. Yes, I've given you people to preach the Gospel to you and to give you the Gospel in many different forms. I've given you all of those things. But if you continue to go over those obstacles, there's one last ditch effort that I have made. I have sent my only Son. I've made Him to be a man. And I made Him to take your place on the cross of Calvary. And He says to lost and dying sinners, don't go to hell today. Don't go to hell. Somebody says, I don't believe in a loving God that would send anybody to hell. I ask you, what more can He do? What more can He do? Aside from making you and me robots with no will of our own, what more can the God of heaven do? And I say, to Agrippa, what more must be done to get you to accept the gospel of Jesus Christ? I ask you, my dear unsafe friend, what more must be done? What more do we have to do to get you to understand that Jesus Christ makes salvation available to you today? I want you to take your Bible and go to another, another individual that I just don't understand his reasoning. We go now to the book of Joshua chapter 7. Joshua chapter 7. Joshua chapter 7 is the story of the children of Israel as they're coming into the promised land. It's the story of the children of Israel fighting the battles that they had to fight to overcome a godless and wicked and pagan society that was, that was so corrupt that God sometimes said, kill everyone there. Again, that's a problem for some people. But the, the reality of it is, those who had corrupted themselves by rejecting God, God said... Their time has come. The iniquity of the Amorites was now full. It's time to, to liquidate them. Those who died in their innocence were ushered from this sin-cursed earth right into the portals of glory. They never had to know the depths of sin. They never had to know disease. They never had to know any of that thing, any of that kind of thing. And they died in their innocence and went straight into the presence of our God. And there, there's a lot of people that have a really hard time with what goes on in the books, in the historical books of the Old Testament. There are logical answers for that. There are reasonable explanations if you believe the Word of God. But we come to this passage of Scripture and the context is this. Israel has crossed over the Jordan River and they have gone to the city of Jericho. Its mighty walls fell when the children of Israel obeyed God. But God had one caveat. Israelite army, as you go into Jericho, none of the spoils are yours. They're all dedicated to the Lord. Now, God did not say this in every battle. In fact, most battles, He said, whatever you find there, it's yours for the taking. But in this particular battle, He said, the spoils of war belong to God, not to you as soldiers. You're not to touch them. And so, what happened? The walls fell down, and the Bible says that while they were fighting for the victory there in the city of Jericho, a man by the name of Achan did something he should not have done. Please know Joshua 7 and verse 1. But the children of Israel committed a trespass, in the, a trespass in the accursed thing. For Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabda, the son of Zerah of the tribe of Judah, took of the accursed thing, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against the children of Israel. It wasn't long before Israel, who never had to know defeat all the time they were in, uh, in the promised land, they were defeated. They were defeated by a little, a little a town, a little a village by the name of Ai, and Joshua fell on his face before the Lord. He said, Lord, what am I going to do? And God said to him, Joshua, there's sin in the camp. You've got to get the sin out of the camp. And so I want you to notice what the Bible says. Please direct your attention to verse... Um, let, let, let's look at verse 13. Joshua 7 and verse 13. He said, God is speaking to Joshua. God says, up. Sanctify the people and say, sanctify yourselves against tomorrow. Tomorrow. 
For thus saith the Lord God of Israel, There is an accursed thing in the midst of thee, O Israel. Thou canst not stand before thine enemies until ye take away the accursed thing from among you. In the morning, therefore, ye shall be brought according to your tribes, and it shall be that the tribe which the Lord taketh shall come according to the families thereof, and the family which the Lord shall take shall come by households. And the household which the Lord shall take shall come man by man. And it shall be that he that is taken with the accursed thing shall be burnt with fire, and all that he hath, because he hath transgressed the covenant of the Lord, and because he hath wrought folly in Israel. So here's what God says. God says, I'm not going to tell you who it is, but I want you to figure out who it is. You bring all the tribes of Israel. What does that mean? That means that there are 12 tribes. Each tribe has to come. Then they've got to be separated into families. Then they've got to be separated. They've got to come man by man. Eventually, we're going to ferret out where the sin is in the camp of Israel. So Joshua relays that message to the people. He says, look y'all, tomorrow, tomorrow we're all going to meet and we're going to figure out what's going on here. And so they begin to come. Now, there's somebody that got that message that night. I mean, everybody got the message, but everybody, including a man by the name of Achan. Achan heard the message. He heard the message. Tomorrow we're going to figure out who has committed this sin. Achan heard that message. I want to ask you a question. What would have happened if Achan would have said, you know what? Let's not wait till tomorrow. I did it. I want to come clean now before we begin this long drawn out search. What do you think would have happened if he had done that? I think the story would have been a whole lot different. Because the Bible says, whoso confesseth his sin, or whoso confesseth and forsaketh his sin, shall have mercy. That's what the Bible says. When we hide our sin, we're not going to prosper. When we confess our sin, we're going to find mercy. That's the promise of Almighty God. I think if Achan had come and said, hey, 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 let's not go through all this tomorrow. Let's just stop this right now. I'm going to come clean. I'm going to get right. I'm the one. We don't have to go through this long, drawn-out, elaborate search. But that's not what happened. Notice what the Bible says in verse 16. The Bible says, So Joshua rose up early in the morning and brought Israel by their tribes. And the tribe of Judah was taken. Oh, that's good news. We can eliminate 11 tribes. Oh man, thank the Lord we figured out which tribe it was. That's good news, right? No, that's bad news. It's good news and bad news. You can eliminate a whole lot of them, but you just picked the biggest tribe in all of Israel. According to Numbers chapter 26, this tribe numbered 76,500 men. So we've still got to narrow this down out of a group of 76,500 men. What does that mean? Three towns of Brookings all put together. That's what it means. That's just the men. That's just the men. we got to sift through all of this. And so the Bible says, here they go. Look what it says. Look what the Bible says here. He took the family of Judah... Verse 17. And he, he brought the family of Judah. He took the family of the Zarhites. He brought the family of the Zarhites man by man. And Zabda was taken. And he brought his household man by man. And Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabda, the son of, of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, was taken. And eventually, Achan died. His wife died. His children died. And they destroyed all his cattle as well. I have the question of conversion to Agrippa. Agrippa, what more has, has to be done to get you to trust Christ as Savior? Hear me. I have the question of cleansing to Achan. Achan? Achan? How long are you going to wait to deal with your sin? How long are you going to wait? I have that question of Christians all over the place. How long are you going to wait to deal with your sin? This is a reality. It's a reality everywhere I preach in an extended meeting. It takes several days for God's people to finally come around and make things right with Him. Why do we do that? Why do we do that? Why do we got to be an Achan and say, you know what? I'm just going to assume that God hasn't seen my sin. I'm just going to assume that God's okay with my sin. I'm just going to hang on to it a little bit longer. Maybe I won't engage in it during the week of revival, but I know full well that when that week is done, and when Friday comes, and when the next week comes, I'm going to go right back to it. Why do we reason that way? 
Why do, why, why do we have to be an Achan? Why do we have to say, I'm just going to continue on in my sin? Can I tell you, child of God, the same God who stood ready to save you stands ready to cleanse you today. He wants to cleanse you. He wants you to get rid of the sin. He wants you to come clean. Why would, why would we wait? Why would we continue on? Sin multiplies misery. It multiplies heartache. It multiplies sorrow. Oh, there's a season where it seems pleasurable. But why do we insist on wallowing more in our misery? Why do we insist on going on in sin? Why not make it right? And get right with Almighty God. The question of cleansing this morning in the, in the Sunday morning service of the revival. The question of conversion is this. What more do we have to do to get you to trust Christ as Savior? The question of cleansing. How long will we wait? Child of God will preach on different things throughout the course of this week. But I want to ask you, are you going to come clean immediately? Or are you going to wait and hold on to it and think about it? question of conversion, the question of cleansing. My time is nearly gone. Please go back to the book of Judges. Forward, excuse me. Forward to the book of Judges, chapter 16. There's certain characters of the Word of God. I wish I could just grab them and ask them a question. What are you thinking? Why are you doing this? Why have you made this decision? Likewise, there are people that I've met in life. Similarly, I, I'm going to ask them the question, what were you thinking? What are you doing? Why did you make this decision? Of Agrippa in the Word of God, I, and for those who are unsaved here this morning, I ask this question, the question of conversion. I ask them, what more has to be done before you'll trust Christ as Savior? For those who know Christ as Savior and yet maintain a grip on their sin, I ask this question, how long will you wait before you get right with God? One final question of a, of a character in Scripture. It's a character by the name of Samson. Samson was a man with an amazing life. We can read about his story beginning in Judges chapter 13. We'll not do that. But from Judges chapter 13 to Judges chapter 16, we read about this man. He was the strongest man who ever lived. He was, in, he was given a strength, a physical strength, by the power of God. He did things that you can't do and that I can't do. And you've never known a bodybuilder that could do it either. He was a powerful man because the Spirit of God came on him and allowed him to do impossible things. But there was a problem that Samson had. And that was Samson was consumed with himself. Samson's story is the tragic tale of a man who served God in measure while serving himself completely. Jesus put it this way, no man can serve two masters. Either you'll hate the one and love the other, you'll hold the one and despise the other. You can't serve two masters. Jesus put it this way, you can't serve God and mammon. What does it mean? It means you can't serve God and money. He could have put it this way, you can't serve God and serve yourself at the same time. And that's what Samson did. Samson was a slave to the lust of his flesh. Throughout the story, we find Samson finding a Philistine girl over here. God says, you're not supposed to marry a Philistine girl. Hear me. His parents said, you're not supposed to marry a Philistine girl. As a matter of fact, they said to Samson in chapter 14, they said, is, an, is there never a woman of the daughters of thy people that you go to the uncircumcised Philistines? The, the, the analogy that we can gain from that is this. If you know Christ as Savior, don't find an unsaved person to date. It's just that simple. It's just that simple. If the goal is ultimately to marry this person, don't date him. And by the way, if you're thinking about just shacking up before you're married, that's not pleasing to God either. He says so very specifically in Romans chapter 13. I'd love to show it to you if you're interested. But the Bible says, here was this man by the name of Samson, and he was a slave to the lust of his flesh. At one time, he finds a harlot, and they trap him, and he has to, and the, the Bible says the Spirit of God came on him. He picked up the gates of the city, carried him to the top of the hill. But he was still serving his flesh. He was still serving himself. Can I tell you something? Serving yourself seems really cool for a while. I mean, I just do whatever I want to do. I am my own boss. That sounds really cool. It seems really good for a while. It seemed really good for a while to Samson, but in Judges chapter 16, everything came crashing down. I want us to look at some portions of this, of this chapter and see what the Bible has to say. The Bible says in Judges chapter 16 and verse 4, it came to pass afterward that he loved a woman in the valley of Sorek whose name was Delilah. The lords of the Philistines came up unto her and he said unto her, and, and said unto her, entice him 
and see wherein his great strength lieth, and by what means we may prevail against him, that we may bind him to afflict him, and we will give thee every one of us eleven hundred pieces of silver. There were five lords of the Philistines, that's at least fifty-five hundred pieces of silver. That's a chunk of change for this woman. The Bible says in verse... Uh, in verse 6, And Delilah said to Samson, Tell me, I pray thee, wherein thy great strength lieth. And notice the words, And wherewith thou mightest be bound to afflict thee. If you're not married here, let me just give you a little piece of advice. If one of the first questions your date asks you is, Tell me how I can afflict you, the relationship is probably not going in the right direction. Okay? It's probably not going to end well for you. I mean, you're sitting across the table from this person and uh, I don't know, maybe you took her to Sioux Falls because you think she's kind of impressive. And so you're down there at this restaurant and then the mood is right and it's, it's just a beautiful setting and you've you paid for this expensive meal and she says, oh, by the way, I wonder if you just let me know how can I can afflict you. <laughs> now you and I read that and we scratch our heads and we say, uh, maybe you need to find the door. I'm sure Samson wasn't the powder his nose kind of person, but find an excuse and get out of there! Right? We see that! We notice that! But I want you to hear me with both ears wide open. When you develop a pattern of living for yourself, you become blind to the obvious. You become blind to things that everyone else can see, but you can't see it while you're living for yourself. And so the Bible says in this passage of Scripture, she says to Samson, tell me by what means I may afflict you. Well, if you've read the story, you understand Samson plays with her for a while. What does he say? Notice what it says. The Bible says in verse 7, Samson said unto her, if they bind me with seven green widths that were never dried, then shall I be weak and be as another man. We have one person in here that I know understands this. Green widths is like kudzu. Right? You know what kudzu is? The rest of you are like, oh, what is, that? is that a Japanese sushi dish? No, no, no. Kudzu is a natural disaster that grows in the southeastern part of the United States. It has been documented to grow 21 feet in one night when conditions are right. The result is that it, it's a vine. It takes over trees. It, ta it takes over everything but a cow pasture or a sheepfold because cattle and sheep love it. They just devour it. But kudzu is, is just a vine. We've got, we've got vines in our backyard in Mississippi. I have declared a five-year war on the vines in my backyard. When I get back home, they'll be trying to take over everything again. It's wisteria as far as I can understand. People say, oh, wisteria, they have these beautiful purple flowers. <laughs> Not when they're growing all over everything they don't. But it's a vine. He says, take yourself some vines that have never been dried. Tie me up and I'll be weak. He knew that was a lie. But notice what the Bible says, verse 8. Verse 8, the Scripture says, let me get back to chapter 16 here. Then the lords of the Philistines brought up to her seven green widths which had not been uh, dried, and she bound him with them. Now there were men lying in wait, abiding with her in the chamber, and she said unto him, The Philistines be upon thee, Samson. And he break the widths as the thread of tow is broken when it toucheth the fire, so his strength was not known. He's playing with her, but he's playing with fire. Because he's living for himself. What happens? Verse 10, Delilah said unto Samson, Behold, thou hast mocked me and told me lies. Now tell me, I pray thee, wherewith thou mightest be bound. So I can get those 5,500 pieces of silver. And he said unto her, If they bind me fast with new ropes that never were occupied, then shall I be weak and be as another man. Lie again, right? We know that. So we're not surprised in verse 12 that Delilah therefore took new ropes and bound him therewith and said unto him, The Philistines be upon thee, Samson. There were liars in wait abiding in the chamber, and he break them from off his arms like a thread. And Delilah said unto Samson, Hitherto thou hast mocked me and told me lies. Tell me now wherewith thou mightest be bound. He said unto her, If thou weavest the seven locks of my head with the web. Uh-oh. We're getting closer. It's still not true. But we're getting closer, aren't we? And the Bible says, verse 14, She fastened it with the pen and said unto him, The Philistines be upon thee, Samson. And he, awakened out of, he waked out of his sleep. And he went away with the pen of the beam and with the web. Verse 15, she's pouring it on. She said unto him, How canst thou say I love thee when thine heart is not with me? Thou hast mocked me these three times and hast not told me wherein thy great strength lieth. And it came to pass when she pressed him daily. 
with her words and urged him so that his soul was vexed unto death that he told her all his heart and said unto her, There hath not come a razor upon mine head, for I have been a Nazarite unto God from my mother's womb. If I be shaven, then my strength will go from me, and I shall become weak like any other man. And when Delilah saw that he had told her all his heart, she sent and called for the lords of the Philistines, saying, Come up this once. We got him. Come up this once. For he had showed me all his heart. Then the lords of the Philistines came up and brought the money in their hands. And she made him sleep upon her knees. And she called for a man and she caused him to shave off the seven locks of his head. And she began to afflict him and his strength went from him. And she said, The Philistines be upon thee, Samson. He awoke out of his sleep and said, I will go out as at other times before and shake myself. And he wist not that the Lord was departed from him. It gets worse. The Philistines took him, verse 21, put out his eyes and brought him down to Gaza and bound him with fetters of brass and he did grind in the prison house. All of a sudden we've seen this man, the strongest man in all of the world because of the Spirit of God upon him, go from that powerful man to now he is a blinded slave doing the work of a donkey. In just a couple of verses. You know what Samson's problem was? His problem wasn't Delilah. Delilah was only the symptom. Samson's problem was this. He was living for himself. Pastor Yoder, I look at the story of Samson and I ask him the question of consecration. What more do you have to lose before you fully surrender to God? What more do you have to lose, Samson? You've lost your eyesight. You're blinded. You've lost your dignity. You're grinding and grinding like a donkey would do. What more do you have to lose? What, what is it going to take? What more do you have to lose before you're totally surrender to God? You know what? If this is a normal church, there's Sunday morning only Christians in this congregation. Some people go to church only on Sunday morning because they're uh, uh, disallowed by the state to drive at night. I understand all of those things. But you know what? There's a whole group of Sunday morning only Christians. They only come on Sunday morning because they feel they've tipped their hat to God and that's enough. I want to ask you, is your Sunday morning only because you want to reserve some of the rest of the day for yourself? Some of the Lord's day? I'm not, I'm not trying to be your conscience, but I just want to ask you. I want to, I want to get you to, to grapple with this. We have a Savior who gave everything for us, but I'm only going to give a part of my life to Him. How does that make sense? How does that logically follow? The Bible says, my total surrender to God is only reasonable service. And I want you to understand, we've looked at some people today. We've looked at them making some, some decisions that we didn't understand. But there are people that are similar to that in this room. Maybe I'm talking to somebody, you've got to answer the question of conversion and you've got to answer it this morning. What more has to be done before you'll trust Christ as Savior? Maybe I'm talking to somebody like an Aiken. You've got to answer the question of cleansing. You've got to answer it this morning. How long, is, how long are you going to wait before you get right with God? How long? How long? And some of you are going to have to answer the question of consecration like Samson. You've been, you know you're saved, but you've been living for yourself. I want to ask you, how much do you have to lose before you finally surrender to the God of heaven? That guy in our school that spit on the girl. I don't think the relationship ever worked out for them either. In fact, as far as I know, nothing ever got started. Because of a foolish decision that he made. And you know what, my friend, what a tragedy it would be for you to leave this auditorium this morning not right with God because of a foolish decision you've made as well. When the Savior offers forgiveness, He offers cleansing, He offers salvation, and He offers a life worth living for those who will surrender to Him. What decision are you going to make this morning? Father in heaven, thank you for this time that we have to look into the Word of God. I pray to your Lord Jesus.